Tyler Smith here. Uh, it's late. It's nice and warm and toasty mm-hmm. in my office here. And so it's the, the wind is just right to talk about my favorite film of all time. But before we do that, I'm going to welcome in my friend who was singing the, I don't know what you'd call it, the song from the Air Force. I was going to say the theme song, but I don't think they refer to it that way. Uh, but anyway, so uh, my co-host, Josh Long. Josh. Maybe it's like the Air Force fight song. Would that make sense? That's Maybe right. They, they do That's fight. They are the military. They, it, absolutely. All right. Well, it's because you said off we go. That's not my fault. I mean, it is kind of your fault. It's partially my fault, but it's, but it's not my fault. That's the kind of that's the kind of attitude we really want to engender here at uh, more than one lesson. Not my Just, problem. Yeah, you know, refuse responsibility at all times, yeah. right, Josh? That, I think Jesus said that. It sound. You know what? It sounds like him. Isn't he the one that said, "Pass the buck"? That's him. That's him. Yeah. Pass the buck to me, he said. Oh yeah take up your buck but then give it to me eventually okay it's late i'm a little sleepy i'm sorry everybody we're gonna move on uh, a couple of things uh real quick uh this uh doesn't apply to this week or next week but uh we're starting to get into the holiday season now and so uh we'll be taking the week of christmas off um, our episodes usually go up on a Tuesday. This one will not be going up on a Tuesday so that, uh, uh, as you know already, it did not go up on a Tuesday so that you guys had a chance to listen to the previous episode, which went up several days late. Uh, but anyway, our episodes usually go up on Tuesdays. Uh, in this case, Tuesday uh, of the week of Christmas will be Christmas Eve. Uh, so we will not be putting up one that day. Uh, we should release an episode that's just like Christmas music. That would be super awesome, and I'm now I'm now totally considering it. Um, Thirty minutes of just Christmas music. Oh, you're welcome, everybody. It, <laughs> wouldn't that be so much better than listening to the two of us talk? I agree. I agree with you completely. We're going to get a bunch of new listeners, and then next week they'll be like, "I liked it better when it was just Christmas music, yeah. not all this talking." It's like we're into January. No Christmas music for you. Sorry, everyone. Nope. Um, but we may try and do something, or more specifically, we may try to post something. Uh, the next Tuesday, which will be uh, New Year's Eve, so we may try and do something there. Uh, but the fact is, uh, Josh is going to be out of town for uh, like six and a half weeks. I don't totally remember. Something like that. Uh, he's, you know, he's scampering back to the safety of home <laughs> because he can't hack it here in Los Angeles. Oh, lonely Los Angeles. Uh, you know, he, he he's going to, uh, he and his wife are going to be with their respective families. Mm. And uh, I'm left here. Uh, to record by myself, which I've done before, but now I don't want to anymore. Uh, you know, that's why I brought you in, so I don't have to talk to myself like a crazy person. Well, every now and then it's good to talk to yourself like a crazy person. That's if you put. Here's the thing: if you put a microphone in front of a crazy person's mouth, they get like thirty-five percent more credibility. No, oh, yeah, look yeah. at Charles Manson. Like Charles Manson, you can you? Oh my gosh. <laughs> If you were to put, if you were to record him and put him out in in podcast form, he might not be immediately recognizable as a crazy person. <laughs> um, That's true. Um, so we're going to move on. 
Oh, right. Yes. I, I think I was talking about uh, you being too, uh, you know, couldn't hack it here in Los Angeles. Oh, that's what it was. Um, I think it sounded like I'm moving away. I feel like you are. You know, think about it. There's only 52 weeks in a year. Uh, by the way, for some reason as a kid, I thought there were 54. And now, every time I mention how many weeks there are in a year, I do have to stop myself from saying 54. <laughs> and I have to remind myself it's two less. There are 52 weeks in a year. You, you're you back home like eight of those weeks. <laughs> you basically have like another, uh, like a second home back east. Six. So it went from six weeks to eight weeks. Yeah. Depending on how long this podcast goes, I might be there all next year. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to have to get another... Uh... Oh, that's right. This started, this started because I didn't want to sound like a crazy person talking to myself. But... Oh. So, I'll have to... You know, I've got uh, I've got a list of all the guests that have been mm-hmm. on, and I've ranked them according to who would be the, my, the best co-host. Oh, good. So, I'll just move down the list. Sure. So, but anyway, so Josh is going to be home for Christmas. Um, you and can plan on me. I love that song. Okay. Good song. I'm not making fun of it. I recognize that we're uh, almost eight minutes in and we have not gotten to the topic yet, uh, which, of course, for a mini-sode is not great. Um, oh, yeah. We got it right. But, yeah. Uh, I'll Be Home for Christmas is a wonderful song. Uh, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas is probably my favorite Christmas song. Mm. But I'll Be Home for Christmas is one that has uh, gathered steam uh, mm-hmm. in my mind, and it's because of the the sadness and heartbreak of the last line. Yeah. I'll be home for Christmas if only in my dreams. Especially knowing that that was so big during World War II. Oh, my when it gosh. was like a lot of these people were not going to be home for Christmas or maybe ever again. Yeah. Like, that is so... That's... I, it's always the... It's, it's almost always the songs from that era mm-hmm. where the idea... Because, you know, you're going back home to be with family for Christmas. That's what people do, mm. uh, you know is is they try to be with family where they can and so the fact that there were you know thousands of of men who could not be home with their families at a time when instinctively you're supposed to uh it added such a it you know it's it's gonna sound weird talking about a song it added stakes you know for the first time christmas songs had stakes which i recognize given the nature of what christmas is which is, you know, uh, Birth of Christ and all that. Uh, that like, but so many, so many songs like are just kind of surfacey and stuff. But then those songs, you're like, oh my gosh, this actually means something. Mm-hmm. There's a wistful quality to them that I love. Moving on. Uh, so I don't yet know. While Josh is gone, I don't yet know what we will do as far as posting episodes. Um, I'll figure it out and I'll try to let you guys know in advance so you know to to look for them. But Christmas week there will not, not be one, so just go and uh, enjoy your uh, you know enjoy your presents and your family and other things that I think Christmas are pro- is probably about right. Um, okay, here we are, everybody. It's Minnesota number twenty eight. I've climbed all the way to the top. Is twenty? Oh, not twenty eight. The, the top. list. Top yeah, of the yeah. list. Got it. Uh, we are now going to talk about my number one, my favorite movie of all time, which is New York, New York. That's the one. I like any really one place movie is the same as as another. Right. You know, Chicago, Chicago, Paris, that's Texas. One. Can't think of any others. Pleasantville, Pleasantville. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we are talking about Robert Altman's Nashville. 
which I recently rewatched, and it is, I think, my third time rewatching it. Uh, and it is a film that just going into it, my first thought was, when I rewatch this, am I going to immediately scamper back to Citizen Kane and think <laughs> what and say what was I thinking? <laughs> Upon watching it, the first hour and a half is pretty cynical. And in watching, I was like, maybe this isn't the humanistic film that I remember. Mm-hmm. Because this does seem to have a pretty negative view of people. And it does seem to be making... F- and it's often quite funny, but it's a very specific type of funny. of a Kind of a mocking type of funny. But then that last 45 minutes comes along. And... No, more, I'm sorry. That last hour comes along. And everything starts to switch. Suddenly... You find yourself in sympathy with people. You find yourself rooting for people. Uh, and by the end, I just found... The the way I, I've started to describe the movie, and it's going to sound... This is about as lofty as you can sound. Uh, and you could say this about almost any movie that has like a large ensemble cast. Um, what do you what do you call a movie like that? Like a Magnolia, like a Crash, like a Nashville, or Shortcuts? Like there is a name for a movie like that. Do you can you think of what it is? Uh, like multiplot. Multiplot, like, I suppose. That there are just several different stories going on at the same time. Yeah, I think script wise they call it a multiplot, but there might be more than. I mean, it's not really an omnibus. Right. That's several stories that are you know maybe thematically related. You're, right. Your New York stories, your VHS, mm-hmm. uh, and other things, your uh, Parisia Tem, mm-hmm. stuff like that. But uh, yeah, like maybe, I, I don't know, maybe multi story sounds right, but the thing about these is that the story, they tend not to be story driven, they seem to be character driven. And mm-hmm. so I feel like there's something and I can't think of it. But anyway, um, but you could say, what I'm about to say, you could say about almost any of them, because when you're dealing with this many characters, uh, it's very easy to say that you're talking about all of humanity. Um, but with Nashville, I think it, it's specifically true that it's almost like God's eye, a God's eye view of people. Because um, think about it, like, if you were God you could look at the things that we are fascinated with, the things that we spend our time on, the things that we treasure and value besides him. And you would find it probably funny, certainly sad and, and, and negative, but also a little funny, you know, I mean, if you are God, then certainly me. Okay. Uh, we are recording on a Monday. It is the day after the two hour season finale of the amazing race. I do not know who, uh, who won. And the fact that I don't know who won, uh, is bothersome to me at the moment. I have not gotten a chance to watch it and I cannot wait, but I'll have to wait probably till tomorrow. And that bothers me tremendously. The fact that that is the case is probably to God quite humorous. (laughs) Um, and that to me is, but the film doesn't isn't only that. It isn't only look how silly and goofy and in some ki- in some cases cruel these people are. It moves beyond that. And there's I think in the end tremendous love for most of the for for all of these characters, even the characters that the film itself recognizes like this is not a good guy, but I still have affection for them and I wish they would I wish they had done the right thing. 
whatever that might be, depending on the character. And so that more than anything, I mean, we will talk about specific characters. We'll talk about the music. We'll talk about, you know, the way the film was put together in a moment. But like overall, I think that's what I respond to is just, and I think there is a certain degree of humanism in Citizen Kane, but I think that film is maybe a little bit, it's a little cold. Uh, whereas this one, I feel like there's just a, there's a raw quality. There's a lived in quality. Uh, and just, I feel like these characters existed before the movie started. They'll exist afterwards. Uh, I, I just feel like, I don't know. I feel like I've engaged with, with humanity as a result of watching this film. And I know that's all very lofty, but that's, that's, it's what I came away with the first time, second time, and certainly this time. And it's why I love it as much as I do. Now, Josh, Hmm. this is, I believe, your second time seeing it, right? Yes, I've seen it twice now. Your first time, you hated this movie more than any other movie. You know what? I'm going to not be hyperbolic. You didn't care for the film. Uh, No, I didn't the first time I saw it. Um, And it's harder to connect with exactly why I didn't like it. Uh, I think we talked about it a little bit off mic after seeing it. But um, I think I was... You know, you can go into a movie and you can expect it to be a certain a certain type of thing, and that can color your your enjoyment of it. So, I think at the time I was expecting it to be a more plot based movies, and oftentimes in these multi plot things, they they what ends up happening is they all have a, a big like there are events that connect them somehow. Mm-hmm. It happens in Magnolia. It happens in Shortcuts. Yeah. Um, certainly in Crash. Um, so I think I was expecting something like that to happen because I was focusing more on the plot. Yeah. So especially when something long like that, because it's, it's, you know, 240. Yeah. So I'm, that's two hours, 40 minutes, not 240 minutes. Oh my. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, I'm, I'm think I'm following it or I was following it the first time waiting for, all of this to come together. So I'm like, okay, how is this all going to fit together? How are these characters suddenly going to all affect each other in some kind of plot related way? Yeah. And, um, that's not what the movie's about. No. Um, which is odd because there is certainly, it is all building towards a thing that you don't necessarily know it's building towards that, except it is a little bit. There is a guy, there are a couple people who are actively working throughout the film to try to get everybody to this one place. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's not like from the beginning, everyone knows all about this political rally right. and they're going to go. And the political rally isn't, uh, you could probably say it's a MacGuffin. Kind of, yeah. Is that yeah. thing? Because um, it doesn't, the fact that it is a political rally or maybe even the fact that it's a political rally for Hal Philip Walker. Mm-hmm. Hal Philip Walker, is that right? That sounds right. Yes, um, it is, is incidental to to the characters and to the events. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, and I, I think I felt a little bit of the the cynicism that you said you felt about it before, um, and I maybe see a little of it still. I but I think I saw it more the first time, or at least read things in it that way because I I felt like it was a very a very negative ending, um, which is very which is uh, very interesting. And perhaps the reason that because I first saw it 
in my Robert Altman, John Cassavetes class. And, and we did not alternate, uh, film, you know, this week at Cassavetes, this week Altman, and then vice versa. Um, it was more, uh, we just, okay, for the first half of the, you know, the first half of the class, we're watching Altman, second half, uh, Cassavetes. And so by the time I saw it, I think I had seen two or three other of his movies. And so compared to those, this certainly had some of his trademark cynicism, mm. but compared to those, this one su- had a surprising amount of heart. And so yeah. when I first saw it, I saw it after seeing a number of his other films. And even compared to uh, Cassavetes as well, if you were pairing that together, like Cassavetes doesn't have many movies that end with a that have any kind of positive ending hmm. I mean there's some of them I, I don't know that that's hard to say there, I won't say optimistic a, I won't say happy I'll say vaguely cautiously hopeful yeah like woman under the influence that was, that's the one I was going to say yeah. yeah that that kind of has that at the end but still has a uh, I think those movies tend to have a darker view of of what humanity is and what humanity has to look forward to <laughs> huh that's odd i it they are i guess they are dark but they don't strike me as cynical really they strike me as realistic like yeah. him trying to embrace realism and one could say that being a realist and being a cynic are the same thing i don't think they are mm-hmm. um but yeah it's it's weird i always viewed Cassavetes is a as a guy who you know kind of the the frustrated optimist kind of thing like he mm-hmm. wants to think the best of people but he he also knows that people will often disappoint and that kind of thing uh, we shouldn't be talking about Cassavetes because uh, maybe we can devote an episode to him someday mm-hmm. but um but yeah and so so in the midst of all of this that's when I saw this film and having seen Altman previously you know, I thought of him, you know, I had seen the player and shortcuts and mash and Dr. T and the women and a number of movies where it's just, I mean, he is a cynic, you know, very much so, but this one had, it, it, it just felt a little different, certainly than like shortcuts, which bears probably bears out the most comparison. Um, but yeah, so that's the context in which I saw it. So maybe because I saw it the way I did, maybe I thought it was more optimistic, maybe than it actually is. Mm. But you saw it and just saw just negativity and cynicism. Yeah. Okay. And you thought, and I guess I don't necessarily want to talk about the ending because this is not a film that actually has been seen that often. Yeah. <laughs> it's disappointing because there's a lot to talk about, I think, in the ending and... Yeah why he chooses it to end that way and the level of foreshadowing that's there. Um, mm-hmm. For those who have seen the film, the the conversation that Sue Ellen has with, I forget the cook's name. They don't say his name that much in the Yeah, in the I film. don't recall. I think it's Sue Lean, by the way. Sue Lean? Did yeah. I say Sue Ellen? Yeah. Oh, sorry. It's Sue Lean Gay, right? Sue Lean Gay, yeah. And then uh, I do not remember the cook's name, no. I don't remember, but the, they have a conversation shortly before the end of the of the film. That's kind of a that is a, a level of foreshadowing, and also uh, 
I think sets her up for her final moment. Yeah. Not that her final moment's really highlighted, but I think it's certain. I think it's important her reaction in the end of the film. Cause Very much so, yeah. Because she's just kind of stunned. Yeah. Yeah. And and cause it's like it was all kind of true. Like, yeah. Yeah, and we're speaking, and that's the thing we can't get specific, unfortunately, <laughs> because it is it's an ending that you don't necessarily see coming. But yeah, you kind of do yeah. it, and, and it and ends in it ends in tragedy. I'll just say that, hmm. and the tragedy is not necessarily telegraphed. But th- I remember the first time I saw it, I was just like, okay, so we're all here. No one is not here. Hmm. So now what? It's like something, something is going to happen. What is it? Mm-hmm. And just, and that, and I just felt tense. I felt like something, not even that something's not right, but like we're building to something and the something is probably not positive. Yeah. I was uneasy is the word. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I feel like there's a major uh, aspect of it that we can't really talk about <laughs> without without talking about that because uh yeah you know what never mind (laughs) it's it's hard to do and that's the thing is i i you know i'm very if this were jaws or the godfather or something like that something that people have seen and nashville regularly makes lists of like you know the best and all that that's i saw it originally because it was on the afi top 100 list and i was going through that full list It was not on the first top top 100 list. It was on the second. Mm, I'm pretty sure it was on the first one. I'm pretty sure it wasn't. Well, you can look it up. Maybe you can look it up. <laughs> you're the one who says I'm wrong. You're the one who says you're right. <laughs> All right. All right, then. <laughs> I guess that's been solved. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's just, it shows up on a lot of lists. It's a, it's It's one of the, there's not a lot of movies it's not a it's not a it's more than a handful certainly but like th- there are some movies that are in the national film registry and this is one of them mm. uh it is largely considered uh an important film a movie that people you know remember um for example uh uh last christmas uh my mom bought me citizen kane on blu-ray and she said, is that still your favorite film? And I said, well, actually, as of recently, it just got bumped to number two. And uh, and she said, oh, what's the number one? And she goes, oh, you know what? Let me guess. And I was like, uh, I don't know. And uh, and she's like, well, who's in it? I was like, uh, everybody. And she goes, the player. I'm like, what? 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 <laughs> the player? You're so close. How do you, my mom, know about the player? And I was like, same director. And she goes, oh, Nashville. I was like, what is going on here? This, this flies in the face of everything I think about my mom. You know, and that's when I remember like, well, you know, my mom was a big movie person and the player was a big movie. And at the time it was kind of, it was kind of Altman's big comeback. And that's the thing is so like she thought player and then she thought Nashville next. She didn't think mash. She didn't think shortcuts uh, or, you know, a handful of other movies that he did. Like she thought Nashville next. Hmm. So like even my and I think she had seen it. So like even my mom knows about Nashville and that should (laughs) that says something. Um, And so but 
it's not one that people immediately think of and a lot of people that i know have not seen it yeah and so i feel i I would love to talk about the ending because in in people's reaction to the tragedy i actually think that there's you can approach that with optimism or cynicism the very Mm -hmm. fact that there's a tragedy could be viewed as cynical yeah but and some people react in a surprisingly selfless way in i would say a redemptively selfless way a way that shows who they really are as opposed to who they thought they were uh they are they were pardon me so like that's one thing that is kind of optimistic but also it ends with people kind of moving on from the tragedy like forcing themselves to move on in a way that at first is like a forced optimism but then it becomes real and organic and some would say well that's kind of callous that they would do that Mm -hmm. um and i've had that thought but in the end i just kind of view it as kind of a general metaphor for humanity that we have the ability to move on when like we can come together and unify in the face of tragedy and we can move on and we we our spirit is never 100 percent broken it's almost like the end of uh the seventh seal with the whole dance of death thing kind of yeah which which and that's the thing it's like that's the context for that is of course very dark indeed but there is a surprising optimism to it yeah did so you said that's the thing is it possible to give speak in broad terms about why you thought the ending was a negative one without going into a lot of detail about it i think i think originally i saw it as like you were saying now you could see the the mere fact of the tragedy as something okay uh, cynical or or negative and that that's the way i took it okay the first time so i was like why does this happen (laughs) i was kind of angry (laughs) yeah and it's and that's the thing is there is a senselessness to it Mm -hmm. there's a senselessness that also makes a certain kind of sense because it's the kind of thing that does happen right and 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 it's a a kind of thing that was particularly on people's minds at that time in history which is referenced at other points during the film yeah and uh i feel like there's a sense that he's connecting that somehow to american society we haven't talked about this yet but this he's clearly trying to say a lot about i I say he alton the director but also the the writer as well joan tewksbury who i i assume joan is a woman i would assume so yes um, she worked. She had worked with Altman previously. I think as like a script supervisor, and I and well, they they developed this thing very much together. Okay, so it was really both of them then, yeah. I guess. But uh, they're clearly meant to say a lot about America, and I think yeah. Nashville is kind of in a way representing America. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, and I think that the tragedy at the end, they're saying it has something to do with the nature of America or maybe is somehow born out of something in American society or something like that. Yeah. I think, I think definitely just the, the idea that we just seem to work towards things that we, that we do like we're going along, we're all doing our own thing, but eventually whether it be civil war or, various assassinations through the years or even September 11th 
which admittedly was somebody else doing something to us, but one could argue that it's because of choices we had made. You know, the idea of chickens coming home to roost and all that. Regardless of what you think, what you personally think about that, that is one of the theories. Um, that it was a reactive thing. One could say overreactive, but it was a, a reactive thing. And so um, that we just have, that we go along and we do our own thing and once every 50 years or so we have this horrible thing happen to us that is sometimes self-inflicted uh, and that that does seem to be the nature of the American character but that we all but that that thing does not defeat us yeah and then we just keep unifies us yeah and regardless of what has happened you know after September 11th like the the six months to a year after it like there was a lot of national unity. I was going to say the week after it. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, maybe I'm being a little too optimistic there. Um, but yeah. And so, uh, so yeah, and it's, it, that's, a, that's one of the other things that I like about Nashville is that it's like, yes, he does seem to be examining American culture. Um, And I'm not 100% sure we ha- what he has to say about it. There are people that say the film is a, is a is first and foremost a political film. And it's like, I guess it is that, but I, that feels somehow too small to me. Mm-hmm. It seems to be much larger than that. As I've said, it seems to be about humanity in general. But, yeah. um, And so, like, but I don't totally know what he's saying all the time. Yeah, I'm not and totally. That's what I, and I like that. I like that I yeah. can't sum it up easily. I don't know what the what the political message is if there's an exact one, and I I almost feel like I would disagree with the argument that it was a that it is a political movie because I don't I don't think it's really trying to make a political point. I mean, even the the mouthpiece of politics, the the you know, there's a truck that drives around spouting the uh, the speeches of this Hal Philip Walker character, yeah. and he's one who they don't place him in a political party they they create a new part of party for him the what you know, the replacement the party. replacement party that's the one yeah <laughs> they might as well call it the surrogate party mm-hmm. um and the things that he seems to advocate are, are things that are they range from general things that everyone believes in to things that people disagree with vehemently on both sides of the aisle so right. he doesn't really represent a, a certain political ideal he just kind of represents politics. Yeah. And but a very strange, cause he is an outsider. Like yeah. he's, I mean, it, it's, it's odd. Like, I mean, the first thought that I had was, Oh, Ross Perot, mm-hmm. you know, or to a certain extent, Ron Paul, yeah. who though a Republican still seems to exist outside the mainstream. Yeah. Um, that oh, go ahead. Mm. Oh, look, okay. And so, um, so yeah, it's it is odd. It's it's odd that even in the in the film, like you said, the the mouthpiece, and it's literally just a van driving along with big speakers. You never see how Philip Walker. You only ever hear him. Uh, that the mouthpiece, it is it is politics in its bones, but not the kind that we're all familiar with. It's the kind that we, in theory, all want. Yeah. But he also couldn't come off like couldn't come off as more of a crackpot, right? And he's like a he's like a oh what's that guy's name? Lyndon Larouche, Larouche. I don't remember. Anyway, there's a guy who's always running for president, 
Um, and I remember I had the misfortune in Chicago of uh, talking to one of his uh, followers, and uh, who gave me some literature. And you look through, it and it's and it's kind of it's kind of libertarian. It's kind of green. It's kind of it's it's fringe, you know. And it's just every once in a while you'll run across somebody like in any election who's uh, giving out his literature and stuff and it's it doesn't necessarily seem crazy in and of itself but it seems crazy that he just continues to do this hmm. um, but yeah so that's kind of what I was reminded of by yeah. the character and that that's who they choose to have they don't have any other they don't have any other politicians they don't have a Republican they don't have a Democrat no and, and I feel like that's one of the reasons I, I feel like I don't think it's really political in that it, I feel like that that thing represents politics the same way that say Barbara Jean represents celebrity or yeah uh, I don't know that any number of characters sort of represent ideas or or facets of American society it's just they're they're exploring a lot of different things yeah and even and one thing that I do like and maybe this is a, a political statement that uh that there are people that identify in the film that identify probably as more conservative and others that identify directly as registered Democrats. And they all use this as an excuse for why they're not, or some that say we don't get involved in politics, but eventually everybody winds up at this rally for their own reasons. Some of them for personal gain, for personal ambition. Um, and like the idea that, and I'm not saying this is what he is saying, but it's this idea of people seem to have strong opinions, even if their strong opinion is that they refuse to have one. Mm-hmm. But whether you, regardless of what you say, you still wind up here, not for reasons of ideology, but for reasons of personal ambition and, yeah. and personal interest and stuff. Really, I think probably everyone there, with possibly one notable exception, I won't say who. Okay. Um, is there to get something for themselves. Trying to think of the notable exception. There's a, there's a lot. Oh, yeah, all right, got it. Um, yeah, and so, like, and, and that, there is something cynical in that, you know? Or is it? Yeah. I, I because mean, one could say that unifies the, all the characters. Well, yeah, and even even if that is cynical i don't feel like that's a fault with the movie i feel like that's just insightful yeah um especially considering that like we said it leads to something tragic it's kind of saying um almost as if to say following your dreams is not necessarily (laughs) doesn't necessarily lead to your wildest dreams and you know, and I want to, and we're speaking very abstractly, and that's the thing is the the film I think just lends itself to that, like the the note that it just the, every aspect of the movie is so specific yet so general at the same time that as the movie unfolds, you're like I I'm watching all this stuff and I'm interested and I'm intrigued and I'm entertained, but where are we going? And so like the mo- like the ending, the ending itself. And the movie that precedes it, just... I can't imagine somebody watching that movie and not coming away with larger questions as to why. Mm -hmm. Why did this person do this thing? Why did this person do this thing? Why did the movie choose to end where it did? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, like, 
and like you said, why did why did this ending happen? You know, yeah. and I feel like I, I'd be fascinated to because the film was actually very popular when it came out. Mm-hmm. A lot of people went to see it, and so I'd be fascinated to meet the person who watches it, takes it at face value, and then comes away from it not thinking anything or, fe- <laughs> or like, fe- oh, that even, was fun. Even frustration, you know, yeah. um, because it's it's just a movie that I feel like refuses to just leave you alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're speaking in, in generalities and, but I do want to talk about some of the specifics that I like. Um, there are a number of characters, some of them are more engaging than others, but I was, I found myself engaged by all of them at, at some point, even, even a character like, um, so there's a, a guy named Haven Hamilton. He is, uh, he's the big wig quite literally he's obviously wearing a toupee um in the in the nashville country community and he uh and he's you know ostentatious and he's ridiculous and his songs are just his songs while very catchy um are often ridiculous you know mm-hmm. and the, and one of them has like such a such a del- he is maybe the, like the the approach to his character is the most is often the most cynical i think but even he kind of has a, a nice moment at the end um but like one of his songs is it's basically all about this guy who who can't who can't uh be with his mistress anymore for the sake of the children <laughs> and it's like and it's like that's horrible that like he's jerking this girl around <laughs> But it's like I'm sorry I can't be with you because I love my kids so much, and that the that the song has the audacity to be sentimental, <laughs> yeah, you know. But like that's it does seem to be kind of sending up country uh, in general. And yeah. y- by the way, you uh, you and I talked after the movie about uh, what was the Nashville or the country in, the the country western musical genre. What was their reaction to the film? Oh, yeah. uh, negative. Really? By the way, I looked it up. Uh, very negative. Uh, they thought that it was uh, way too broad, and it generalized them in a way that was unflattering. Uh, uh-huh. And then Robert Altman went out, went on to say in an interview that they were just jealous that the uh, <laughs> that the the actors. But it should be noted, all the actors wrote their own songs, which is uh, kind of amazing. Yeah, well, and in some cases they wrote songs for one another, but there were no. Uh, Ronnie Blakely, who plays Barbara Jean, she was actually a professional uh, musician, like a backup singer and stuff. So she had mm-hmm. a background in that. But by and large, they were not uh, professional musicians or lyricists or anything like that. And so Robert Altman said, like, ah, these country musicians are just jealous that these guys could come in and do what they do, in some cases, much better. I think the music is uniformly wonderful. Mm-hmm. Like I, I respond to like I bought the I got the soundtrack from my wife uh, last Christmas, and I listened to it. E- even though I'm not somebody who listens to country, and even the songs that I mentioned that are inherently silly, I find myself listening to because they're just so catchy. <laughs> um, so that's that's one of the other. Oh, anyway, so I was talking about ha- Haven Hamilton. That like he's a character that you feel like you understand throughout the film, and then at the end it's revealed you don't totally understand him. But he has a son who's just kind of this good-looking guy who just always has a smile and seems like kind of a pushover. But it's revealed that even he, like, he's sort of the family lawyer, but even he maybe has certain musical 
aspirations and he's not the most interesting character in the world but when i'm allowed to spend time with him i'm fine with that i enjoy spending time with him mm-hmm. and he's played very wonderfully by by that actor whose name escapes me at the moment i don't have it in front of me um so that's the thing any character that that i that i spend time with i'm just like i, I feel like i'm just happy to be with them as opposed to some of these other types of movies you know crash which is a movie that we don't necessarily like in general but like there are characters in it that are intriguing and mm-hmm. there are characters that are in my opinion not yeah. and anytime i'm forced to spend or uh you could you could extend this to television as well lost mm-hmm. lost has an ensemble cast and there are characters that it's like all right i it's like oh good it's a lock episode now we're talking yeah it's like oh man a kate episode all right i guess i'll get through it so i can get to the next <laughs> lock episode um you know stuff like that and so uh, whereas this, to me, didn't feel like that. Yeah, there are ones that it might be maybe I identified with more, but I was interested in all of them. I feel like everyone gets moments, and I think it knows how much time to spend with certain ones. Like, yeah, uh, like you said, that that character he has some interesting notes to him, but they don't try and make him into a, a major character. Like yeah. they 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 introduce him and use him the best way to be used and the best way to be presented with. And and that's kind of limited, but that, you know, works for the film. And the characters that are, that are like quote unquote more important are the characters that even the other characters would say are more important. You know, Haven Hamilton is more important in the film than his son, Mm -hmm. just as every other character in the film would say, they'd say, Oh, Haven Hamilton. Certainly, I know him better than I know his lawyer's son. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, so the film, one could say, just as far as screen time, kind of examines celebrity, and that we spend more time with the singers because, well, they're just more interesting. Mm-hmm. But there, but that's the thing; it doesn't make them the only interesting characters. Um, and then, I, and and you mentioned the idea of like knowing when to end scenes and stuff. The editing for the film is amazing. Because one thing you, me, and we watched it with, with your wife, Megan, one thing that all three of us said was that, man, that movie moves. It's two hours yeah. and 40 minutes. And every time I glanced at the little timer, which I do instinctively uh, whenever I watch a movie at your house, um, I look at the timer, and every time I'm like, whoa, like an hour in, I thought <laughs> we were maybe 40 minutes. You know, we're an hour in, and then just before you know, it's like, we're we're done, like, there are very few scenes that just that are stretched out. There are very few scenes that are dull and and kind of lifeless. Every scene is just f- is fun in its own way and interesting in its own way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that might have to do with the variety of characters. There's a lot of different types of characters, and it's just it's going to be hard for me to like stop singing the film's praises. It is <laughs> what I consider to be my favorite film of all time. Um, and so, uh, so maybe let's get into some, some more specifics. Like what are some specific things that you responded to within the film? Um, it could be a character. It could be a scene. It could be a song, whatever. Yeah. I, one, one scene that I remember, you know, stuck with me from last time. So I must've liked it last time too. But the, uh, the, I really like the, the I'm easy song scene. Um, uh, it's where we have a character who we've learned to be kind of a womanizer. Um, seems to be singing a song for one woman who uh, maybe she's the one he really loves. And 
I think the way it affects her and the way the camera kind of holds on her, because mm-hmm. um, she she knows that she knows that this guy's part of her knows this guy's not good. Yeah. Um, but it's still affecting her somehow. It's like she can't she can't ignore it. You know. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's a that's a powerful scene. And um, in the, and in the midst of it, there are four women in the audience as this guy is singing this yeah. song, the song, and all of them think the song applies to them. Right. Because he has shown interest in them. Yeah. In the film. Um, but then, and so like he, his eyes are closed through most of the song. And then at one point he opens his eyes and just locks on to the one woman and does not, does not move his eyes around. Like it's right there. Mm-hmm. And that's when it becomes clear to the other three women. Like they all look back and it becomes very clear to them. It's, he's not singing it for me. Yeah, and so there's a sadness there, but yeah, the moment between him on, you know, him on stage and and the woman in the audience is, it is very powerful. Yeah, that's a very good one. And the song itself actually won the Oscar that year for best song, and I think because the song itself is good, but I I also think the way that it's used in the film might have influenced voters, where there's yeah. there's in, you know, when I when I listen to that song, I think of his eyes glaring out you know you cannot divorce it from that scene yeah um yeah that's a great scene yeah um and then i very much enjoy the character of opal the uh (laughs) the british uh, the reporter from the bbc where i think about halfway through that movie you start to think she's she may not really be from the bbc (laughs) i yeah, she could. She, it's that's possible, or it could be that the BBC is like, "All right, you're going to be on our, our American correspondent. Just get out just of my to office. Get rid of her." <laughs> yeah, um, but I do. Uh, she's funny because she's so. Uh, she's very self-absorbed and she's very petty, and um, uh, very kind of out of touch. Yeah. Um, but I think it's interesting too. I and, and this is one way that I don't. I don't feel the film film is that cynical is I feel like it's kind of supportive of America in her reaction to America. Hmm. Like I think she is meant to be the, to represent the outsiders who don't, don't understand American culture Yes, and try to put it in context of the things that they know. For instance, the stupid thing that she says early in the film, uh, comparing a gospel choir that she's seeing to, uh, like villagers dancing in Africa that she saw. And it's like, that's not, <laughs> you, you don't compare those two things. It's not the same thing. But she yeah. doesn't have any frame of reference. So for her, she's like, oh, black people, black people, they're the same, right? Yeah. Um, and it just, <laughs> and throughout the film, she has that kind of uh, uh, disconnect, ignorant disconnect with yeah. the culture that she's in. Yeah. And, and it, it rears its head a, a lot, like when she's. She's talking to a woman who uh, is a musician in her own right, um, and then she is asking about the woman's children, and then she says, well, actually, bo- both of my children are deaf. And Opal responds like, oh, that's so... T-. Like, it really depresses her, and, and you and you get the impression that, that she's genuinely saddened by it, um, but... Uh, but also she does seem to maybe be playing it up. It's hard to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's mostly genuine, but even then like the mother's like, Oh no, Hey, you know, it's, it's all right. She goes, no, it's just so 
just the sadness of it. Like she's just <laughs> playing it up. So just and it does seem to be like the outsider just constantly reacting to things, but also clearly wanting to be to engage with it um, and be yeah. a part of it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's I, I did sort of have that thought that like in the midst of this film, we do have a foreigner. Mm-hmm. You know, admittedly, it's a British foreign, somebody who speaks English and, and all that sort of thing. But it's an, it's an interesting addition and the, the role that they choose to have her play that, you know, you and I were talking about the various characters that are taken seriously and the ones that aren't. And even there are characters that are kind of jokey throughout the film. And even they are allowed real genuine human emotion at the end. Opal is one of the few that is just ridiculous throughout and basically and and ends ridiculously as we mentioned um like she's always she always shows up with her camera or her microphone to ask ridiculous questions and butt and butt into conversations and then at the end when the tragedy happens when we're seeing everybody's reaction there's opal in the crowd asking everyone what happened i didn't see it did you see what happened (laughs) yeah and it's just it's like of course that is the one thing that she should have been there for and she wasn't and it's just but there is one moment and that's the thing even with her though she though that's it she ends on a ridiculous note and one that is you know uh you know, poetically just uh, for her character. Um, there's even a moment where she is allowed a, just a little moment of just a little moment of heartbreak and realization. Um, but yeah, and she's and she just has all these fun, pompous monologues as she's <laughs> as she's narrating things, and it's it is she's a delightful character. It's it's a film that's funny all the way, uh, pretty much all the way through. Uh, but she is. Even within that, she, she is comic relief. Um, but uh, are there any are there any other uh, characters or any other scenes that uh, jump out at you? Uh, I, I mean, th- there are lots of of lots of different great scenes, and because it's all a lot of different pieces and not um, not just one one plot through line, it's hard to yeah. to nail down specifics. But there's there's a lot of great moments all around. Yeah. Uh, one that really resonated with me this time around, and I'll, and I'll use this to actually reference our last episode. Uh, so the character of Suleen Gay is, uh, a character that is often held up for ridicule in the film. She is a waitress who wants to be, uh, wants to be a singer and she is terrible. And it should be noted that I believe the actress's name is Gwen Wells. Um, that's how she sounded after singing lessons that she was that she really? uh, I didn't know that that I think Robert Altman like assigned her to for the film like that's after the singing lessons like she is tone deaf like it's I listen to a lot of musicians that people would say are bad singers they don't have the best voice you know sometimes they don't hit the note that they should hit but there's in my opinion there's such character in their voice that it still works for me uh so I don't even necessarily know when somebody is or isn't a good singer, but boy, oh boy, even I could tell they're like, oh wow, that's yeah, not how she's people bad. sing. Yeah, she's she's really terrible, and I feel bad saying that, but it, that is the that's one of the defining things about her character is that she's terrible and that she seems to be kind of unaware of it or chooses to ignore it. Uh, but at one point during the film, she's invited to perform 
at this club uh, and she starts singing but it becomes clear oh the performance that is expected of her is to uh, perf- you know do a strip tease and all that and so she doesn't want to do it but then they finally convince her to do it and so she strips off in a way that is very unappealing and she's an attractive woman to be sure um, but she does it and she tries to make it you know sexy as much as she can but she's also feeling a little dejected and all that um, and it's such and in that moment like there is no laughing at her there is no ridicule there is only heart like the film seems to want to hug her and I want to hug her in that moment and just say you do, you you know you don't deserve this like you're not a great singer but you don't deserve this you're still a human being um and it's a it's you know that's an example of what we were talking about last week of justified nudity i feel like yeah uh, you know when she you know takes off her her clothes it's just like there she is as vulnerable as can be still you know like i said an attractive woman naked on the screen in a situation that would seem to be it is exploitative of her but the film is not exploitative uh and it's like that the the only way you could have gotten i think the emotion that you do from that scene is for her to have been naked on screen Mm -hmm. um and it's so it's such a powerful scene like it's there there are two or three moments in the film that make me kind of well up and that's that's one of them i just feel so bad for her um and her her whole story, and of course she has she's allowed a moment at the end as well, where it, we're reminded once again that she is a she's a real person with real feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like her character a lot, and then the other character that I've always responded to, but this time around just quite a bit, is the character of Barbara Jean, who is like the biggest star in Nashville, who even before the film has started has clearly had some trouble like she was in a house fire that seemed to put her in the hospital for a while but she's having mental troubles on top of everything else like the strain of performing i think has finally gotten to her and she's you know and her high-strung husband is at slash manager is trying to do what he can for her and it's just not working out and so uh so i i when talking to to you after the film i made reference to uh, James Whale, director of Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein, uh, especially in Bride of Frankenstein, a lot of the characters are are kind of humorous and silly. And but the one thing he said, I when it comes to the monster, I will not make any jokes. Like that is a character that I take seriously, and I want the audience to take seriously, and I have tremendous compassion for. And that is how I feel about the character of Barbara Jean, who we just see in various states of breakdown and there are no humorous moments with her. It is all just heartbreak. And it also helps that her songs are beautiful. And Ronnie Blakely, like I said, an actual professional singer before the film, uh, she just belts it out and not, and hits it out of the park. And I think it's amazing. Um, and the songs are, like I said, songs are very beautiful and really have a heart to them. And so everything that she does, I think, is amazing. But um, we should start wrapping up because um, the this is now as long as an actual episode. Um, so if you have not seen Nashville, I recommend you do 
But Josh, let me throw this to you and see what you think. If somebody said, hey, I've never seen Nashville, I was thinking of watching it, what would you tell them to sort of... Because this is a film that I think you should be a little bit prepared for going in. Um, it's not a, it's not necessarily a casual viewing. Certainly, you need to allow yourself enough time to watch it. But uh, like, what would you tell somebody to as a way of preparing themselves before they watch the film? I think it's best if you, if you're going into it expecting, uh, wanting to see it as, uh, a character study and, uh, interested in the commentary that it has on American society Mm -hmm. and specific aspects like celebrity, um, in American society. I think that's, those are the things that I got out of it the most this time that I think most people could gain from it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the thing is a lot of the things that happen in the film, uh, have gone on to happen in society. Yeah. Um, you know, the tragedy at the end of the film actually would be mirrored by a tragedy that happened a few years later. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I'd say that's that. Just recognizing you're not the film you're watching is not just here's a bunch of people doing a bunch of things. Like mm-hmm. it, it is trying to say something, is trying to explore something. And if you just and so, what I would say is just go into it with an open mind. Try to leave whatever expectations you have at the door, and just try to accept the movie as it is. Um, not what because. You know, I was very happy that when I saw it, I had not really heard anything about it. So I went in with as open a mind as possible because I had no expectations of it. Um, and I'm very happy that that's how I saw it. Um, and so if if what we have said interests you, um, seek the film out. There is a wonderful, I don't know if it's wonderful, I'll assume it's a wonderful uh, uh, edition of the film, recent release, recently released on criterion blu-ray so that's available now you can by the way get that through the more than one lesson store if you like hey there you go but uh so you can seek it out uh give it a watch try to have an open mind and just really enjoy it and i would love to hear anybody's feedback on the film um yes anybody's feedback even negative feedback i'd like to hear because this is a film that is not it is respected but there are a lot of people that do not love it that think it's very overrated so, um, okay, we are not yet sure what we are going to talk about next week. It's looking like we're going to talk about uh, The Hunger Games Catching Fire, but there's a, always a possibility that'll change, so uh, I'll make announcements as, as we go along. But anyway, thank you, everybody, for listening for uh, this full hour. This is certainly not a mini-sode, but, you know, it's too late to change that. Um, Josh, thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. And thank you all for listening, and we'll get you next time. Bye. You say the strain give out rough. It don't worry me. And all the world is taking sides. It don't worry me. See, my path, life is sweet. Just as any bond you meet You may say I ain't free Well it don't worry me 
It don't. 